Okay, good morning. This is your one-minute warning. Sounds like you're having a good time. That's okay. I'm missing one of my sons today, the one that knows how to run all the technology. I don't know if you have somebody like that in your family. When we have computer or phone questions, Matthias, come fix this. So he's kind of our technophobe. They don't really use the word geek anymore. Do you know that? I don't know. Is that word used in high school? High schoolers? You still use the word geek a little bit? Not really? So that's, that's good not to call people names. So. Okay. Wow, that was quick. That was faster than a minute. Good job. Okay, uh, my wife is uh, left yesterday for, uh, she's on fall break. Our boys are all on fall break this week uh, down at Lutheran High School and then also at our Shepherd. Uh, Zionsville is on fall break this week, correct? Uh, Carmel is over or not? They started Wednesday? Thursday? And they go till? I'm very sorry. <laughs> you want me to write a letter to your superintendent? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, parents either love or, or hate fall break, right? It's kind of one of those things where it's nice to get away and then it's, you know, you still got work schedules and then you got to make arrangements for kids if they're younger. So, so anyway, so my wife uh, went back to Kansas City to see some family, took uh, Matthias and Mark with her, and, uh, but she left me stuck with two of the kids. And, uh, but that's okay. Uh, one's got football all week, and uh, our uh, Lutheran High School, they uh, uh, sectional champions yesterday uh, for soccer. So pretty cool. So I don't know where Malachi's at, but uh, uh, he's on that team. There you are. So congratulations to that. Uh, lots of fun. So congratulations to you Colts fans. That was a really good win last week. Uh, I'll give credit where credit is due. So you stepped up and we stepped down. And uh, so, and uh, you, you got to love sports for that reason. So if I ever make any of those jokes, don't take me too seriously. I mean, I, I, I'm a sports fan, but I also understand how it works, okay? So, okay, any other announcements or anything before we dive into Bible class for today? Kind of got people coming and going, so okay, sounds good. Well, let's, uh, let's get at it, shall we? The Lord be with you. Lord, we implore you, grant your people grace to withstand the temptation of the devil and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Okay, we are studying uh, Reverend Dr. Kurt Marquardt's book, The Saving Truth, a Doctrine for uh, Lay People. Uh, the Lord uh, called uh, Pastor Marquardt uh, home to be with him many years ago, and this last week we lost another uh, wonderful saint uh, in a very uh, pivotal figure, uh, not just in academic circles, but within the larger church, and that was Reverend Dr. Norman Nagel. Uh, Dr. Nagel was uh, one of my professors at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and uh, was just a, a, a stalwart uh, man. Uh, and uh, continue to do exactly what Professor Marquardt has been doing, directing us to how God reveals and gives himself to us through word and through sacrament. And so what we're going to get in today is exactly that. When we talk about things like baptism, the Lord's Supper, absolution, these things are really, really big deals. 
And, and unfortunately, they are the things that so often get kind of left behind or get forgotten uh, in the Christian church. Uh, and you might have seen that before, uh, where you've come from. Um, I hope that never becomes the case uh, with us here at Advent. That's part of how this church uh, was founded many years ago, was emphasizing word and sacrament ministry. And there's a reason for that, and it's completely scriptural and confessional as well. Uh, but uh, Dr. Nagel um, served as a, uh, uh, was a pastor uh, and a professor, served uh, there at Concordia Seminary up until 2006. Uh, I believe it's 2006 when he had a stroke, paralyzed uh, pretty much his left side, and he retired uh, from uh, full-time uh, academia and work at that point. Um, but uh, has since uh, still been able, he participated in a monthly study group. I've got a few brothers from St. Louis that would meet with him. And uh, at some point, we'll, we'll pick up one of his works like we have with Marquardt. Um, he's just one of those guys that you kind of, some of you might have your favorite high school teachers or favorite college professors, and they're just very memorable. Uh, the way they talk, uh, whether they've got a personality or not, <laughs> there are things that you remember about them. And, and Dr. Nagel was just, was just one of those guys, a real gem of a man. I'm blessed, uh, uh, you know, for, for having uh, learned from him uh, over the years and uh, thankful for that and look forward to seeing him in heaven above. Okay? Any uh, Nagel uh, connections here real quick before we jump into our text for today? Raise your hand if you've heard the name. A few of the pastors. Okay. Yeah, a few of you. Okay. If you've read some stuff, you've, you've, uh, you've paid attention to that. Okay, so we are here on Law, Gospel, and Means of Grace of Dr. Marquardt's book, The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People. And let me find my page number. Okay. So I've got, uh, did, oh, did I make a mark from last week? I've got middle of page 81. Does that sound right, you bookophobes? Close enough? So where are you at here? Uh, the Gospel is an entirely unique, yeah, that's pretty close to what I got. Let's pick up there. Is that about right? Let's go from there. Okay, here we go. The gospel is an utterly unique form of communication. In Greek, the words for gospel and for promise are closely related. Unlike the law which threatens, the gospel is pure promise, right? So there's that distinction between law and gospel. Um, and a lot of Christians, you might be surprised how many people don't, have never been taught that distinction between law and gospel, Right? So the law, you, you might have had a pastor at some point uh, in catechism or through your adult catechesis. SOS, the law shows our sin. The gospel, SOS, you know, shows our Savior. Okay? We've talked already about the uses of the law in terms of curb, mirror, and guide. Uh, we delved a little bit in the past into uh, some additional breakdowns. Uh, there have at points in human history been up to four or five uses of the law. Uh, the theologians and pastors have, uh, have used. Uh, but regardless, uh, uh, the law is there uh, to show you your sin, uh, to reveal your true nature, um, and, and also as a guide to show you what you should do and what you should not do. The gospel, of course, uh, can simply be summarized in four short little letters, done. Your salvation is done and accomplished through Jesus Christ. The gospel does not involve you or anything you do on any way, shape, or form, which is where Professor Marquardt's going to go now with another four-letter word, that the gospel, or faith, is pure gift, G-I-F-T, okay? So God's saving promises, Marquardt continues, actually carry in and with them the very things promised. So the word for promise can mean also the thing promised, 
And these two senses can run together into one, as in Galatians 3.22, Ephesians 3, verse 6, Hebrews 6, verse 12, and 17. And if I had that curly-headed child of mine here, we'd look at a few of those, but I won't make you do it. It's okay. You're doing just fine. Just keep pushing the button. Did you go to the right one? What page are you on? Uh, go back. I have no idea where you are. Keep going. Keep going. I think you've got to go back. Whoop, whoop, forward. I think I saw it. Keep going forward. Go with the right. No. Where is that at? I had you on the right spot. We're not going to give him a hard time because he, he, got, he got roped into this. Where are you? Anybody know where that's at? That's weird. The people that are listening online are like, what is going on at this Bible class? Oh, I know where we're at. Okay. I know where we're at. We're almost there. Almost there. There it is. Birthday gift. There you go. Okay, that's the page we're on. Just hit that button only no, once at a time, and that's it. No more. Okay. <laughs> it's tough being a preacher's kid. Okay. So the word for promise can also mean the thing promised, and these two senses can run together into one. So as live divine promise, right? So, so the word is, is, is real. Uh, and not only that, it's, it's, it's alive, right? So it's the living, breathing word of, of God. So when you hear Scripture read to you, which is why the public reading of Scripture is a really big deal. It's why the public preaching is a really big deal. Anything that is done together publicly is a really big deal, right? So the very first confession of the church, the very first uh, defense that the Lutheran reformers had to make for why they were you know, raising a ruckus in the, in the church, in the Western church, uh, was the Augsburg Confession or the Augustana, right? And so, so uh, Article 1, 2, 3, and 4 are, are pretty all basic. Everybody, at least as Christians, would subscribe to those, right? Uh, belief in the triune God. Uh, fourth article starts to get a little more specific. Justification is found in who alone? Jesus, right? You can't justify yourselves, okay? Uh, so Jesus now has redeemed us uh, with his, his uh, suffering, uh, with his death. And then Article 5 goes like this. Now, to obtain this, this, this faith, uh, God has instituted the, the, the office of the ministry. So Christ instituted now the church. And what's the job publicly now uh, for the church to do? It's to preach, to proclaim, and to give out the gifts. And that's a really big deal. Such a big deal that, that we don't let just anybody do that publicly, if you will, right? Uh, and so you, you have to be retable katus. You have to be regularly called, uh, which means you're trained, your life is examined, and all this according to uh, the, the, the qualifications of Scripture, especially what Paul talks about uh, to Timothy and to others in his letters. So this is how now... The vivivox Christe, the living, the breathing, the very life of Christ, still breaks into this world and does that. Okay? Um, now, counter to that, of course, um, are those who would say none of that really matters. 
And then you start losing the emphasis, of course, on word and sacrament, or that Christ is, is here with us. Raise your hand if you're in the early service. Okay, now keep your hand up if you believe that God himself was actually there with you this morning, that you stood in the presence of God. Hopefully all your hands should be up. Okay, you can put them down now. Thanks for the fun little game, okay? So we are actually in the very presence of God. How? Through means. What are those means? Word and sacrament, which makes the Lord's Supper as well, absolution, baptism, all those things, a really big deal. Okay? So it's kind of ironic, you know, a lot of the pastors I know that have started um, non-sacramental churches, that's not even the right word because I know some that would claim to be sacramental, uh, but in an effort to, quote, evangelize or, or do mission, those are the first things that will get removed, the absolution, right? Uh, that would be offensive to people to, to hear the pastor say, which are, he's just saying the words of Christ, I forgive you all your sins. Okay, or, uh, you know, people don't understand infant baptism. That's going to confuse some people. So we, we're just not going to do any of our baptisms publicly. We'll do them privately. You bring your children into the church, right, um, and, and do that. You know, Lord's Supper, either we'll not do it at all, or what happens? It's for everybody, <laughs> right? You either we'll minimize how often we do it, okay, uh, or we'll just practice blatant open communion. We'll forget about what Scripture says about eating and communing together, about koinonia, about fellowship, and we'll just, we'll just if you think you're ready, if you can examine yourself, you know, uh, and of course that's kind of passing the buck, because now instead of the pastors, you know, saying, okay, God's called me to be a steward of the mystery, uh, and he's called me to kind of, you know, uh, give out these gifts and do that in a, in a, in a very responsible and winsome way. Uh, we're just going to ignore all that. And not just the pastors, but the church as well. We just don't want to, we don't want to cause any consternation, right? So just follow those lines of reasoning as you go down that. Um, and, and think about how you would parent at home <laughs> is the first thing I would tell you. And think about how that would work in, in just our world. You know, uh, Pastor preached a great sermon today, and I, I think he actually confessed to sin. I forgive you, by the way, for doing 65 and a 55. Um, <laughs> may not be the one that needs to well, I guess I'm your pastor too. We're each other's pastor. But, um, uh, you know, there's laws for a reason, right? And there's repercussions to those. So you, you, re, you remove that, or you ignore the weight and the truth of God's holy word that only you know, leads one direction. Okay. Now, I've mentioned a few issues. If you're, if you're struggling with any of those, if you're struggling with, with, with closed communion, if you're struggling with, with baptism or Lord's Supper, shoot me an email or a text message, and we can chat a little bit. I've got lots of resources uh, to share with you, uh, or would, would love to just sit down with a cup of coffee and study Scripture with you as well. Okay? That's the important thing. Okay? The Gospel. Where are we at? To go to the next page, hit the right button once. There, no? Where did that go? Oh, did I go too far? The gospel is much more... No, the gospel... What? Oh, I got it. Okay, sorry, that's my fault. As live divine promise, the gospel is much more than information. This, quote, more may be compared to the difference between a letter and a check. The letter might promise a birthday gift, but the check actually conveys it. 
So here it is a case of the message being the medium for imparting the very things the message names and describes, right? So, you know, if you, if you, if you play the lottery, don't tell me about it. Um, but if you do, and you, you have a winning lottery ticket, and your lottery number, and your number is called, you got the winning ticket in your hand. Do you have the money yet? What do you have to do? You have got, you got to go redeem it. You got to go claim it. Okay? And even when you claim it, they might give you the big cardboard check and take your picture. Is the big cardboard check the real check? What do you think? Some of you might think it is. It's not, right? Uh, and so they'll either do a wire transfer, but that's not even the check you're going to get because you got taxes on top of that, okay? Uh, same thing, I, was, uh, I went to get my hair cut a few weeks ago. I was at the barber shop, and, there was, and they had the TV on. The Price is Right was on. And the, this other young man that was getting his hair cut, uh, these young folks these days, he said, what's this show? <laughs> the Price is Right, man. <laughs> the price is wrong. <laughs> Sorry, it was a movie. Uh, anyway, so, so uh, really? Price is right? You know, uh, Bob Barker, I mean, he's not doing it anymore, obviously, but he's like, no clue. No, you know what price is right is? Oh, you do? Okay. Your mom must have told you. And so, so he starts asking questions. You know, so this, this guy ends up winning a car, right? And so the guy in the barber chair next to me getting his hair cut, he was like, oh, man. He's got a car. That's, that's just, wow. How do you get on this show? You know? I, I, I want to go to, go to California, where I think it's filmed in California, right? And, uh, and, and I want to win a car. And the barber says, well, you know you don't just get the car, right? And he's like, what do you mean? The guy just won a car. He goes, he's got to pay taxes on that car. Like, you know, whatever, whatever it's worth, whatever the value is, so they, that was all part of the price is right, correct? So I don't know what it was, $27,152 or something. You know, and so he's got to pay taxes on the value of the car, right? And the guy in the chair goes, well, that's not fair. He really didn't win anything. <laughs> okay, let the reader understand. So with God, it's not a matter of just winning something or getting a cardboard check or something that is going to cost you in some way, shape, or form, even if there's a benefit. It's completely free. And, and I would submit to you that, that one of the challenges the church has today is that the word free, and this is, this is completely Pastor McKay here now, free doesn't mean the same thing anymore to people, right? So if you see a sign that says, buy one, get one free, that's not really free. You've still got to buy one. What you're really doing is you're getting two at 50% off. You see that? Uh, and so <laughs> just the, the logic of some of this, and with, with God, it's completely foreign. So in some ways... We have to redefine a little bit when we talk to people about what truly, what it means to be free, okay? Um, and not only that, but that now this gift is, 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 is alive and, and active, and uh, there, there's a power behind it, and that's otherworldly, that's supernatural, okay? And the word we use is sacramental, which obviously is a very foreign word unless you've grown up in the church, but that's exactly what it is. Okay. Now, I think the culture is better poised to understand some of this. Okay. If, you, if you look at, at just the majority of stuff that, that our culture is digesting, you know, if you look at the, the, the shows and movies and books that are out there, you get on Hulu or Netflix, and uh, there's a lot of just absolutely horrible, despicable stuff out there, but there's a lot of it that is very spiritual is the word I'll use. 
in the sense that it wrestles with uh, souls and whether it's the demonic or whether it's just, uh, you know, that there's, there's something other than what you see, okay? So I think we as a church, even though we certainly live in the last times, and while the Christian church is, is not really growing as a whole, um, that we have a unique opportunity to connect the dots for some of these people to the truth of God's word, okay? Um, so, all right. Anybody want to argue with me or discussion about that or Price is Right story? Come on down. Okay. So the gospel, always including the sacraments, in fact, does two things. Next page. No, I went too far again, didn't I? Did I not highlight this? Go back. The gospel. Yeah. I forgot to highlight it on the Kindle version. Okay. So the gospel is much more than information. Here it is a case of the message being the medium for imparting the very things the message name is. Why is it going to the other page? Here it is a case. The gospel. Yeah, well, I think, see, it's not doing that. That's why. Go back. Let's try one thing here. Oh, it's goofing on here. Boy, Matthias is going to love that we really missed him today. Let's go. Oh, that's the wrong one. Where's the plus? And let's try. Yeah, let's just make it smaller. That's what's not showing all of it. Why is it not doing that? That's weird. I don't know how I had this set up. That's really small for people. What page are you? Yeah, you'll find it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to read. So the gospel, where we just, yeah, you can just play with it. So the gospel, always including the sacraments, in fact, does two things. Number one, it gives the otherwise quite unattainable riches of Christ. That's Ephesians 3.8 to needy sinners. So, so this is the complete concept of, of it being free, right? The gospel, always including the sacraments, in fact, does two things. It gives the otherwise quite unattainable riches of Christ to needy sinners, Okay. Um, so it's completely given. So every time the word is read, um, you know, publicly, privately, uh, wherever that word is, it's a living and active word. And there is a complete bestowal now of, 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 of all that God is and has done through Jesus Christ. And then that's just marvelous, right? So if, if you're struggling with, if you've got a, a friend or a family member and you're kind of trying to figure out how to you know, address something or talk with them, you know, the first thing I would say is, is let God's word do its work, okay? Uh, you know, as much as you can, quote scripture, read scripture, you know, study that, uh, invite them to come and hear, you know, proper teaching and exposition and preaching of that, uh, you know, use good materials of that, um, you know, but, but let God's word do its work and trust that that word will work, Okay? Um, number two, uh, it also creates in them the hand of faith. Put your hand out. I love Marquardt's analogy here. The hand of faith, right, with which to take those treasures. It creates the hand. So you don't have the hand already. You've got two hands, but in and of yourself, you're a sinner. You don't have a hand of faith. But now what God gives you is the, is, is the means to grab a hold of that gift. Okay? So he gives you faith. Faith then, the hand of faith, grabs hold of, you know, baptism, grabs hold of communion, grabs hold of uh, uh, absolution, 
okay? Uh, all the gifts of God. And the, and the rest of the truths of Scripture as well. So if, if you're you know, studying with certain things, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is at work and, and he, will, he will lead and guide you through that. Uh, but, but work through those means, okay? Questions, comments? The gospel and the space-time gap. You ready to get a little uh, Doctor Who? Some of you know who that is, okay. There is a problem in popular Christianity which is as fundamental as it is largely unrecognized and acknowledged, okay? Uh, well, that's really small. <laughs> I'm not even, no, you're fine. You're doing a great job. Um, so one symptom of it is a certain sense of unreality, which for modern technology-minded people, like my curly-haired son, surrounds persons, events, and situations from older cultures, okay? Would you agree with that statement? That there's a problem in popular Christianity and one symptom is a certain sense of unreality, uh, which for modern technology-minded people surrounds person, events, and situations from older, older, uh, older cultures. Let's keep reading here and just raise your hand if you've got a comment. The cultural gap between us and, say, Reformation times, let alone the age of the New Testament, is so dramatic that these other worlds strike us as outlandish. How many of you went to the Renaissance Festival here? I think it was last weekend, wasn't it? We couldn't get, we had family in town. None of you went to, you, what? You don't like to practice your Elizabethan English? And, and dress up and, and drink mead? <laughs> really? We need to take a group outing next year to that, okay? I, I haven't gone to Renaissance. We were gonna go and we ran out of time. Um, and, uh, but uh, but it's, it, it's, it's doing something like that you know, the whole, the whole purpose, the people that volunteer their time, the actors, is to give you the experience of being, you know, in the Renaissance time. That's really not the right way to say it. Uh, but being in a different time period, right? Uh, so you hear them talk differently. You know, they act a little differently. They eat kind of different foods. You know, you watch the jousting. You know, you don't go down to Lucas, Lucas Oil Stadium to watch jousting, do you? Although that'd be pretty cool, <laughs> all right? to have jousting there in the middle of Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, so that immersion, it, it's, it, it's otherworldly, and it's tough to relate to that because that's not our life now. And so Professor Marquardt's point is this, is that you know, we, we are so enthralled and immersed in, in, in our current you know, day and time and culture that it's hard for us to, to, to understand, you know, especially like the Bible, I mean, 2,000 years ago. Right? They didn't, they didn't have cell phones. Imagine that, right? So most of us here you know, didn't grow up with cell phones. Isn't that amazing? Right? Didn't get them until we were well into adulthood. You know? And uh, you know, texting was just something we kind of learned about when we took handwriting class. You know how to, anyway. Oh, I'm full of them today. Okay. Uh, so let's move on here with, with uh, Marquardt. So the cultural gap between us and, say, Reformation times, let alone the age of the New Testament, is so dramatic that these other worlds strike us as outlandish. It is our own world that seems real and normal. So one attempt to bridge these gaps is to dress up the church's ancient worship in the snappy sights and sounds of modern pulp culture. Such quick-fix solutions, however, rest on shallow views of the basic problem. So we need to dig deeper. Salvation has happened to the human race in Christ. In Him is all of God and all of His grace. So whoever does not find God in Christ will never find him anywhere else. Even if you were to go over heaven, under hell, or into space, as Luther was fond of repeating, or in this way, you will only find Jesus where he promises to be. 
you will only find Jesus where He promises to be. And I'm going I'm to credit Dr. Nagel for that phrase I just shared with you. Okay? All right? You're not going to find Him anywhere else. And, and so what happens in, in the world and in the church is, is, is people now, uh, and sometimes with the best of intentions, if you will, um, will point to Jesus being found someplace other than what he actually says. Say? So the best place to start, you, 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 you want to talk about Jesus, you want to talk about faith, you want to talk about what it is to be a Christian, the best place to go is simply to his words. And I'll give you one quick example. Okay, it was a little, little, little ch- slight change. You'd seen it before, but it was a slight change uh, when I came uh, um, uh, last December. Um, the bread and wine that are consecrated at the altar, what do they become? The body and blood of Jesus, correct? You believe that? I hope you do. If I'm communing you, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, you need to believe that. Because that's, that's, and how do you know that? That, that this bread and wine right here at the altar, that the words are spoken over, how do you know that this bread and wine is also the body and blood of Jesus? Because Jesus says so. And what does Jesus say to do with it? Eat and drink it. Does he say to do anything else with it? Put it in your pocket? Okay, let the bread harden and put it on a necklace? Okay, uh, hang it from your rearview mirror and it'll keep all the uh, Pastor Grady's from uh, blowing by you on the highway? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that one. And his story's a little different, late service people. I'm not going to give it away, all right? Uh, a little different than that, Okay. Um, eat and drink it, right? Okay, so simple question. When the Lord's Supper, when all of you have, have eaten, right? What God has given you to eat, okay? What's still left on the altar? You th- okay, how many of you said body and blood of Christ? This is going to be a fun little conversation. How do you know that? Yeah, but he said to take and eat and take and drink. So if you're done eating and drinking, what remains? Oh, you're not? Okay. Ah, I see where you're going with that. That's not bad. I wouldn't totally disagree with that. But I would just say this. When the meal is over, when you have done what he's said to do, okay, uh, is the bread and wine that remains, do we know for a scriptural fact that it is the body and blood of Jesus? I would tell you no, because scripture doesn't address that. It, It doesn't address that. Okay? So I would say you'd have a hard time making a case either way. That it's only bread and wine, and I've heard brother pastors argue this, and I'm like, how can you prove that to me? That it's, that it's only bread and wine. On the same way, how, how, could, how could you prove to me that it's, it's body and blood? Okay, now, the, it was this bread and wine, right, is spoken over. The words of God have done it to it. It's for eating and drinking. Read your catechism, right, because Luther emphasizes that. It's for eating and drinking, so if you've, you've now eaten and drunk in an appropriate, responsible manner, okay, um, you could say, well, everything that's up there still remains the body and blood of Jesus, so we need to treat it as such. I would say, I don't know for sure from Scripture. So what, what's the best way to deal with that? What's the best way to do it? God's not a God of, confu- uh, God of uh, doubt, right, or confusion. He's a God of certainty. So what's the best way to deal with that? Remove it. Eat and drink it. Right? So it might be. Now I know some pastors that, you know, when they'll consume the reliquy, reliquy is Latin for that which remains. And when they'll stand at the altar, 
they will say the same words to themselves that, you know, they will say, you know, take and eat, this is the body, you know. So um, you'll notice I, we don't do that, okay? I respect, you know, those that, uh, there needs to be, a re- it needs to be respectful and reverent, but I have a hard time saying that this is actually, after I've already communed and received what I've needed, right? Does that still remain the body and blood of Jesus? I don't know. Is it just bread and wine? I don't know. But I do know this. <laughs> Jesus said to eat and drink it. And there doesn't need to be any doubt or confusion for you or anybody else, right? So what do we do reverently? We just eat and drink the rest of it. That's what we're doing up there at the altar. I know we've covered this before, but some of you might not have heard that conversation. Okay? We only consecrate, speak the words over what we need. And if we need more, we can always speak the words over more bread and wine. Make sense? To me, it's really simple. Okay? Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't always do that or understand that. I had other pastors who tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I got a question for you. No, no more questions. (laughs) I can't learn anymore. Uh, You know, and so you learn some of those things over time, but that was Luther's practice. Uh, It was common practice historically in the church as well. Uh, And we kind of fallen away from some of those things, but I would submit to you, it comes back to this understanding of what is really taking place. And that's what Mark Quarter is getting at. Okay, in our culture, we have a hard time kind of, you know, relating to that. Okay, questions or comments? Okay, nobody got up and walked out that I know of, so let's move on. So, uh, we need to dig deeper. Salvation has happened to the human race in Christ. In Him is all of God and all of His grace. Whoever does not find God in Christ will never find Him anywhere else. This is a great sentence right here. Even as if He were to go over heaven, under heaven, or into space, as Luther was fond of repeating. Now, as the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, the Savior is that one and only bridge over which all the saving traffic between God and mankind must pass. So this is interesting. Jesus is that, is that bridge, and all the traffic you know, must go over him. So in him, God has come into focus for us. So the funnel in the illustration, next page, I don't know if we can see the illustration. Can you go one over? There, oh yeah, you can see it, Okay. So the funnel in the illustration coming to a point in the cross and resurrection of Jesus expresses this evangelical truth in diagram form. So far, all serious Christians are agreed. The problem arises when we go on to ask, how does all this come to us now, right? So here's the funnel. Go to the funnel, right? So here's all of God's grace, okay? Person, work of Christ. So that took place, you know, roughly around 30, 33 AD, depending on on, uh, how you date that, okay? But now here we are some 2,000 years later, okay? How do we get from there to there, right? Now, how is this space-time gap to be bridged? How does the salvation in Jesus there and then get us to here and now? So it's difficult to imagine a more crucial or practical question. One's whole understanding and practice of Christianity depend on the answer. Yet very different answers are given at this point. The usual answer in popular Protestantism of the conservative kind is that we must pray or wrestle or make a decision or a commitment or in some other way come to Calvary. So the gap is to be bridged by our faith. Okay? So I remember uh, talking with a, with a Baptist pastor once. He said, let me explain decision theology for you. I said, okay. All right. And uh, we happened to be out of Hooters, <laughs> which in and of itself is really funny. Uh, is it Bap- Southern Baptist pastor, okay? Uh, we were having chicken sandwiches. And uh, so he, on the back of the napkin, um, he takes and he draws a little diagram, right? Uh, and he, he, he draws, draws a symbol of the Trinity 
over on the right side of the napkin, and on the left side, he, he draws a bunch of stick figures. And then in between, he draws, you know, kind of like a, a V, or kind of like, like a Grand Canyon, right? And he said, no, we both agree that, that God is over here and man is over here. He goes, we, we both agree that we're sinners. I said, yep. And we didn't, pastors, we didn't, we didn't get really, really far uh, into that. But for the sake of that, we were in agreement, okay? Uh, we're sinners. God is righteous. We're not. Amen. Amen, brother. Okay? Let's have some more ch- uh, chicken wings. And uh, so then he says, now, now here's what we do. He says, you pick up your cross and you lay it down across the ravine. You pick up your cross, and only you can decide to do that. You take up your cross, and you lay it down, and, 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 and you walk over the ravine. He goes, now, amongst us Baptist people, he goes, we're a little confused about how long this cross is. Some of us think that, you know, it, 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 it's kind of like a drawbridge. <laughs> and some of us think it's, 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 it's one long, complete bridge. He goes, so we have some divisions amongst us. He goes, but, but I would say, you have a cross that is long enough to lay it down and reach God. And once you lay it down and it reaches God to the other side, you start walking, and then he'll come meet you in the middle. I said, wow. I said, I'm screwed. I don't even have a cross. <laughs> what am I going to do? I said, my belief would be completely opposite. I said, I'm stuck over here, Right? Uh, it's like an episode of, of Survivor or Lost. I got nothing. I've got nothing. And, I, and I'm, 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 I'm here, and I've got no food. I've got no water. I've got nothing. And on top of that, I'm a quadriplegic. I can't even move. <laughs> I said, you can keep adding layers to this all you want. I said, and, and God sends his son across this gap for me. And Jesus, through his cross... Not only does all the work of building it, but he lays the foundation for it, and he walks all the way across it, and, and, he, and he ministers to me, you know, and he feeds me, and he nourishes me, and it's only by his grace that, I, that I'm able to actually get up, you know, and, and walk. He's like, wow, he goes, we're, we're a long ways apart. I said, yeah, let's have another beer. <laughs> Okay, now I've told you too much about your pastor. But this is, you need to pay attention to some of this, okay? So, I mean, where we start, even though we might claim to be Christians, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this stuff starts to get to the heart of the matter, okay? And it's coming back to how does what Jesus has done get to us here and now? Amen. Amen. Yeah, so if you're free on Wednesday nights, uh, World Religions, uh, Mr. Long is teaching that. Little plug for you there. Little plug. Little plug. I like it. We'll work on the PR campaign at Church Council next week. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, any other questions or comments before we move on here? I want to get to a couple other things. we got about six, seven minutes, so I'm going to try and read fast.
Okay, so the gap is to be bridged by our faith. However, faith here seems to mean an exercise of mental, emotional, imaginative, or ethical powers, the exact mix depending on the local theology, right? So that's what this brother pastor was telling me about. According to this thinking, we must shut our eyes, as it were, concentrate as hard as we can on Christ, and so experience him and his cross. Okay, you ever been to a Taizai worship service? Okay, a little meditational. Some of you might have heard about it. Okay, usually it tends to be uh, some of the Episcopalian churches, uh, Methodists. It's kind of made the Presbyterian circuits for a while. There's some Lutheran churches that offer that as well. It's kind of more of a meditational type of Vesper service. And the intent is to kind of get you kind of in the right frame of mind to kind of worship and, and meditate. And, 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 and there's some good things with meditation, but listen up. When it comes to God serving his people... <laughs> That's not something you need to necessarily meditate on. God is doing his work, okay? Um, and so objectively, we have to start there first, okay? And then there's time for, for certainly meditation and doing that, but by you being in the right frame of mind or understanding or at peace, you know, physically, me mentally, emotionally, God's still going to do his work regardless, okay? Um, because he's God and because he assures you. The same thing with the bread and wine and the Lord's Supper, it becomes body and blood, whether you believe it or not. His word does the work, got it? So we don't believe in receptionism, that you make the body and blood of Jesus be there. Okay, same thing with baptism. You don't bring anything to your baptism. Okay, uh, it's God that does his work to you. Okay, okay. Um, so this meaning takes place, he says, this, this experience of him and his cross in the realm of mind or religious imagination, and that's a realm that becomes highly suspect for all of you who lost your innocence in Psychology 101. So hence there's a nagging sense of unreality and uh, malaise. Okay? Now completely different is Luther's recipe for encountering God. To modern religious nerves attuned to television exhortations to, to come to the cross, it's jarring to be told, quote, if now I seek forgiveness of sins, I do not run to the cross, for I will not find it there. So, of course, Luther knew better indeed than most others that the cross is everything. But where is this cross now? The event is beyond our reach. And if we could find the original cross somewhere in Jerusalem, it could, in principle, do no more for us than the Shroud of Turin. Right? So, interesting story, Shroud of Turin. You know, Luther fought this battle with all the relics, right? A piece of uh, Peter's toenail you know, or, or Jesus's, you know, uh, how many of you have kept the first hair from your kid's uh, haircut and put it in a baby book, right? My mom did that for every one of us, okay? I don't know if that's still a thing or not, okay? So now because I've got Jesus's hair, you know, now I've, I've got some special grace. No, you don't. You just have hair, okay? Doesn't really do anything, okay? So Luther explains that we must not muddle together two different aspects of forgiveness, namely its source and its distribution. So on the cross, Christ achieved and won forgiveness for all, but he does not distribute it there. So in his gospel and sacraments, that's where Christ distributes forgiveness, although that is not where it was won. You following? We are not left to our own devices here. The cross is not to be captured with mental exercises. Its treasures are distributed by God in his holy word and sacraments, and this not mentally, but really and truly. Okay? So Christ on the cross and all his suffering and death do not avail, even if, as you teach, they are acknowledged and meditated upon with the utmost passion, ardor, heartfeltness. Something else must always be there. What is it? It's the word, the word, the word. 
Listen, lying spirit, the word avails. Even if Christ were given for us and crucified a thousand times, it would all be in vain if the word of God were absent and were not distributed and given to me with the bidding, this is for you. Take, eat, drink what is yours. So Luther's severe words to those he derisively called the heavenly prophets of his day, and that was part of the radical reformation. There were some really goofy, itinerant preachers and other people that were going around uh, are, are timely in our confused age. God did not plant his cross on earth and leave us to struggle toward it as best we could. He has provided the access himself. So the space-time barrier between the cross and us cannot be pierced from our side. It's God himself who penetrates it with his holy means of grace. This means that Christian faith and life orbit around two poles, not one. The cross is the input pole and the gospel the output pole. So our diagram will therefore need a second funnel showing that just as all God's grace is given in Christ and there alone, so all God's grace in Christ is given in the gospel and there alone. Go to the illustration, right? So here, right at the cross, God has done all this through Jesus Christ. And now through word and sacraments, that's how we get to the here and now. Okay, So all that now is applied and given here. So there can be no more conflict or competition between these two poles or funnels than there is between an electric power station, the wires and outlets that convey the current to the consumer. The gospel is simply Christ's own way of giving himself. Now the two poles or funnels come together beautifully in 1 John 5. Quote, Christ, uh, you want to read it with me? Did not come by water only, but by water and blood. For there are three now that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement, scripture says, or intent on the same thing. And in the first statement, St. John makes it clear that the Son of God underwent not only his baptism, but also his actual death, as signaled by the separation of blood and water. Some ancient heretics imagined the Son of God spared himself the supreme disgrace by withdrawing from the man Jesus before the crucifixion. Right? So, did Jesus as a man die on the cross? Yes. Did Jesus as God die on the cross? Yes. Did God the Father die on the cross? No. Did God the Holy Spirit die on the cross? No. Only God the Son. And this goes back a chapter to we talk about the two natures of Jesus. He's both God and man. How often? <laughs> when is he God and man? Always. Okay, from the time of the Annunciation, the time of the conception by the power of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb until today in heaven. Okay, man and God. All right, let me finish this and then we'll, we'll be done. So St. John goes on to note that spirit, water, and blood are actively testifying here and now. Right, so back to the funnel. The spirit, the water, and the blood are testifying now. How is that possible? That was 2,000 years ago. The water, you ready for this? Hold on to your hats, is baptism. Blood is Jesus' blood of the New Testament given in the sacrament that you eat and drink that is there in, with, and under uh, the wine, right? So truly the Lord then and there does not need us to make him real to our contemporary world. So how do we you know, make God real to the contemporary world? We reveal Jesus where he is now. You got that? This, this, this took a while, I'm going to admit to you, for me to grasp. Because I came out of the whole mission evangelism thing where 
I've got to be winsome and I've got to convince people of this and I've got to make things comfortable and maybe we'll make church service that way and heck, I'll even sit down and play the drums so that you can relate to your pastor. You think, man, he's a cool guy. He plays the drums in church. And oh, look, he's riding in the parking lot on his motorcycle. I want to go to that church. But that's not how faith is given. That's not how faith is grown. It's through word and sacrament. And when I had enough good, well-intentioned pastors and even professors that hit me upside the head with a two-by-four, I slowly started to realize that by God's grace. Okay? Now, I still struggle with some of that because I want to be winsome and I, and I want to be popular you know, with people as a church and as a pastor and, and all that. But speaking the truth is different. Okay? Drawing a line in the sand is different. Okay? Can you give me two more minutes here? We're almost done. So those who teach the New Testament, therefore, have the obligation to show not only how all the promises and prophecies are fulfilled in Christ, right? That's how you do Bible study, all fulfilled in Christ, but also how all this now reaches us by means of his word and sacraments. So unlike other histories, the gospel stories which we hear every Sunday are not dead histories of the dead. But as Luther said, sacraments, that is sacred signs which communicate the very blessed things they describe. And here's where we're going to close. So here are the greater things, John 14, 12, the Lord promised his followers would perform. Every baptized baby, ready for this, is a greater miracle than Lazarus raised from the dead. Say, oh my. Lazarus received only physical life and had to die again. Somebody had that question for me last week. I said, wow. That's kind of, yeah, we'll have to cover that at our time. Okay. Baptism, however, bestows eternal, spiritual, heavenly life. Again, those who receive the sacrament of the altar take part in a wonder far greater than that of Cana with its miraculous wine. Is this the wonder that you come to church with every Sunday to the divine service? I mean, you want to meditate on something. Meditate on that of what's really taking place. Okay? I mean, look past all the, the externals. God is here for you, literally, physically. So the Lord's own body and blood are treasures infinitely more wondrous than even the most miraculous multiplied loaves and fishes. And those who receive the divine absolution are there cleansed from defilements vastly worse than mere leprosy. The humble, earthy words, water, bread, and wine, are for us today the counterparts of those lowly servant forms of baby in the manger and man on the cross under which God gave his best and dearest. Thank you, Professor Marquardt. Would you say amen with me? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Sorry to keep you a little longer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. And also with you. Amen.